Dear fellow Singaporeans and friends, it was only five months ago when news of the COVID-19 virus first emerged. What began as a localised public health emergency has since become a global crisis. The pandemic has disrupted the international system and brought about far-reaching changes that will reverberate for a long time, affecting our daily lives and our livelihoods. For example, we won't be able to travel abroad as easily as we used to for business or leisure. New standards for public health and personal hygiene are here to stay. In many instances, the changes have sped up trends that were already there. For example, many more companies and workers have moved online, irreversibly changing the way we do business, work or shop. This will impact the way companies compete and countries trade with each other. Working from home also means people can do the same job, not just from home here, but even from home in some other country. This can open up more working opportunities, but also intensify competition for everyone. COVID-19 has also accelerated pre-existing geopolitical trends. The US-China rivalry has intensified. Global supply chains have been upended. In quite a few countries, social divisions have grown starker, fracturing social and political stability. This has in turn fueled a wave of nativism and protectionism. Countries are acting unilaterally to protect their own short-term interests. As a result, international organisations like the WHO are handicapped as they seek a coordinated global response. These developments are threatening the international system and global order, which for more than 70 years has provided opportunities for all countries to grow peacefully. Generations of Singaporeans have grown up believing that globalisation and open markets are part of the natural order of things. We can no longer assume that this is so. Today, I will talk about the challenges Singapore will face and how we intend to uphold our political and economic standing in this world. I will also outline how the government will build greater resilience as we prepare for this new, more uncertain world and take care of all Singaporeans. How countries respond to the pandemic will shape the post-COVID-19 world. What will happen to our system of international cooperation? With intensified strategic competition, can the leading powers still cooperate sufficiently to overcome global challenges? Will the world slide back to protectionism? Will it become a technologically and economically bifurcated world? A bleak outcome is not inevitable. What each country does, together with like-minded partners, can make a difference. The COVID-19 crisis will affect all of us. It should motivate all countries to come together to build a more cooperative world rather than become a reason to divide us. Pursuing narrow self-interest can leave all of us worse off, while enlightened self-interest means working together for a better outcome for everyone. There is so much to do. Caring for the sick, 
protecting frontline workers, discovering effective treatments and vaccines, ensuring that there is enough for all. And after the pandemic subsides, it will be a long road to economic recovery. We need new international protocols to gradually and safely resume cross-border exchanges. Beyond that, we need to update, reform and strengthen the global trading system to reflect the new realities. Integration and trade are always far better than isolation and conflict. We hope that the major powers will exercise leadership to help the world overcome COVID-19. This will set the tone and lay the foundation beyond COVID-19 for a renewed, open, united and inclusive world. Then humanity can address important shared challenges that require collective global action, such as violent extremism, nuclear proliferation, cybersecurity, future pandemics and climate change. No single country, big or small, can solve these problems on its own. In this changed world, some things will remain unchanged. Singapore will always be a small, multiracial country surrounded by bigger neighbours, located between the Indian and Pacific Oceans, exposed to external forces beyond our control. Singapore wants to be a good partner and contribute to a harmonious region. We will continue to actively promote close ties and good cooperation with our ASEAN partners, especially Indonesia and Malaysia, not least to tackle COVID-19 together. We are working closely with Malaysia during this outbreak on the cross-border flow of people and goods. As a gesture of solidarity, we donated masks, test kits and ventilators to Malaysia, Indonesia and other ASEAN countries. We are also working closely with ASEAN and our other key partners to curb the transmission of the virus and to limit the economic fallout on our region. At the same time, we must deal constructively with the bilateral issues that inevitably arise between close neighbours. We will try our best to resolve these issues and achieve a win-win outcome while protecting Singapore's interests. And until we can resolve them, we must manage and contain the bilateral problems so that we can work on wider areas of cooperation for mutual benefit. We also reach beyond our region to make ourselves useful to the world, even during this pandemic. We are working with key partners to keep supply chains open, connected and resilient. At the WTO, we participate actively to promote trade by updating the rules to suit the digital economy. In a world where creating, protecting and using knowledge is increasingly important, a Singaporean, Mr Darren Tang, was recently elected to be the next Director General of the World Intellectual Property Organisation. This is the first time that a Singaporean will be leading a UN agency. As a small island state, we continue to contribute to global action to tackle climate change. In March, we submitted our updated nationally determined contribution and our long-term low emissions development strategy to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. 
These are all key issues that will determine the shape of the world to come. While we call on the major powers to exercise leadership to strengthen international cooperation, small countries also do have a voice and the agency to act. Thus, while the world's largest economies have the G20, smaller and medium-sized UN member states, including Singapore, have come together to form the 3G, or Global Governance Group. This 30-member grouping provides inputs to the G20, making global discourse more diverse and inclusive. Singapore also founded and continues to lead the Forum of Small States at the UN to give its members a stronger collective voice. The 11-member Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, or CPTPP, had its origins in the P4 Agreement between Brunei, Chile, New Zealand and Singapore. The ASEAN countries are at the core of the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or RCEP, which brings ASEAN and its FTA partners together. These are examples where smaller countries have been able to seed ideas, act and draw in larger countries to foster wider cooperation. And we will continue to play an active role in this arena. To play such a constructive role on the world stage and to protect our national interests, we require an able and agile foreign service. Our Ministry of Foreign Affairs, together with other government agencies, work hard to help Singapore chart our path in the world and create more opportunities and space for Singaporeans. This has now become even more important with the global changes brought about by COVID-19. Singapore can hold its own in the world only if we are strong, successful and united at home. Only then can our diplomats speak with a credible voice. Only then can we prevent adversaries from manipulating opinions and inciting discord within Singapore. Only then can we offer something of value so that others want to work with us. We can face the world outside with confidence only if we are strong inside. The COVID-19 crisis has been a stringent test of our ability and resolve to tackle challenges at home. Dealing with it has required an unprecedented whole-of-nation response. We established the Multi-Ministry Task Force in January to coordinate this. The MTF has had to make difficult decisions amidst uncertainty and incomplete information as the world struggled to understand this new, silent, fast-moving and virulent threat. The crisis has stretched our resources and capacity, but we have been able to orientate, adapt and act rapidly as the virus came upon us in waves. Each wave required us to develop and deploy novel measures to slow down the spread and contain it. With patience and perseverance and support and cooperation from everyone, we have brought down the number of cases in our general community. We have also stabilised the outbreak among our migrant workers. We are now carrying out a deliberate plan 
to test and clear every migrant worker living in the dormitories so that they are well and can safely resume work. As a result, we can now begin to restart activities gradually and safely, taking all the needed precautions that Minister Lawrence Wong described in the previous broadcast. As we emerge from the pandemic, we will need to build a more resilient Singapore, which can respond quickly and effectively in a more uncertain world. Let me touch on three aspects of our resilience. Crisis response, economic resilience, and social resilience. First, COVID-19 has highlighted the importance of building reserves and resilience to respond to unexpected crises. We need not just financial reserves, we also need able and experienced people, organisational capacity and operational agility. When COVID-19 struck, we could draw on the knowledge, expertise and capacity in our healthcare system built up after our SARS experience. And we could tap the SAF to rapidly build up our contact tracing capacity, as we did during SARS. But no two crises are the same. And tackling COVID-19, especially the outbreak in our migrant worker community, has been a major challenge. We had heightened surveillance and tightened precautions in our migrant worker dormitories early on. Unfortunately, these turned out to be insufficient because the virus was far more infectious than SARS. On 25th March, we recorded zero cases in our dormitories. Just 10 days later, on 4th April, when the number increased to 26 cases, we acted decisively to isolate the dormitories. However, the infectiousness of this virus and the communal living conditions in the dormitories meant that in a fortnight, by 20th of April, we were recording more than 1,000 new cases per day in the dormitories. We had already anticipated the need for community care facilities and had started to build them. We accelerated these plans and scaled them up, adding new capacity daily over the first few weeks of April. At the peak on the 12th of May, we were caring for close to 20,000 patients in our community care and similar facilities. This is more than the total number of beds in all our public acute hospitals put together. We mobilised resources from across our public service, government-linked companies and the private sector to set up and run all these facilities. Healthcare volunteers stepped forward to help man them. This is how we are able to take care of every patient without overwhelming our healthcare system and putting lives at risk. This has been a tremendous effort. The operations are still ongoing to bring the dormitory situation fully un under control. But the number of daily cases has already come down to between a third and half of the peak. About two-thirds of the patients have already fully recovered. COVID-19 was not a mission that our SAF and home team had specifically prepared and trained for. But they demonstrated their readiness and flexibility by stepping up to establish the Joint Task Forces 
within days to support their MOM and MOH colleagues who were already on the front lines. The JTFs played a critical role by establishing a command control and information system, deploying forward assurance and support teams to all the dormitories to look after more than 300,000 workers and supporting MOH's overall medical support plan. Every day, as many as 1,000 patients had flowed into and through our care facilities. Every one of them needed to be individually tracked, tested, monitored, isolated while infectious, moved safely to the right places and given the right treatment. Over the past two months, I worked closely with many of our officers and tracked closely the work that they are doing. I would like to thank every one of them for their extraordinary and selfless contributions. It is a massive task and our officers from our entire whole of nation team are doing a tremendous job. The clear lesson for me is that in peacetime, we need to plan on facing the unknown and build deep reserves of people and capabilities so that when we face a crisis, we can act decisively and respond flexibly and rapidly. Second, we need economic resilience. In the immediate term, this means dealing with the direct impact of COVID-19 on our livelihoods and supply chains. Thus far, we have managed to maintain our food and essential supplies through stockpiling, diversification and self-production. These would not have been possible without the industrial capacity and economic resilience that we have built up over the years. Keeping Singaporeans informed daily and dealing with the crisis in a transparent, systematic and thorough way has further strengthened Singapore's reputation for trust, credibility and transparency in the eyes of international investors. This will stand us in good stead. We have faced and overcome such challenges before. In 1967, during the early years of our independence, the British announced the withdrawal of their troops from Singapore. Overnight, we stood to lose 20% of our GDP and 70,000 jobs out of a citizen population that was only half of today's. This was a permanent structural loss, not a cyclical downturn. But Singaporeans gritted our teeth, rolled up our sleeves and moved ahead. We invested in education and infrastructure, opened ourselves to the world and promoted new industries like shipbuilding and repair, electronics and tourism. We are far more resilient today than in 1967 and better positioned to create new markets, businesses and jobs to replace the ones that will be lost. My colleagues, will be elaborating on our economic resilience, recovery and growth programs in the coming days. Every crisis strains our social fabric. The trauma of independence etched deeply in the minds of Singaporeans the need for harmony, unity and solidarity. It begins with our children. Education for all gives every Singaporean the opportunity to build a better life and share the fruits of our progress. High quality, affordable public housing 
provides all Singaporeans a home and a stake in our country's future. Ethnically integrated HDB neighbourhoods foster racial and religious harmony. We have drawn on these deep reserves in times of crisis. For example, after the September 11th attacks in 2001, we faced the terrorism threat together and did not allow tensions and suspicions to, to divide our society. Similarly, we supported one another and came through the Asian financial crisis, SARS and the global financial crisis together. COVID-19 is an even bigger test. I'm heartened to see many acts of kindness, care and compassion from Singaporeans and our friends living here. They acknowledged and helped take care of our migrant workers. And they helped look after those who are more vulnerable among us, regardless of race or religion. We all share a common humanity. What we do in a crisis reflects who we are and the values which motivate us as a people and as a nation. COVID-19 is not the first crisis we have faced, nor will it be the last. As a small country, we are more exposed and vulnerable than others. In our short history, we have repeatedly faced and overcome crises, about once every decade, some more serious than others. The COVID-19 pandemic is the largest and most complex I have encountered in more than 40 years of public service. We have responded to COVID-19 as one nation, mobilising our financial reserves, our public services, our crisis response capacity and our social capital. Singaporeans have stepped forward to do our part, helping others in need, keeping ourselves and others safe during the circuit breaker. We have avoided the fissures that have divided some other countries, fissures that have hindered their ability to respond properly and cost them lives and livelihoods. The multi-ministry task force is overseeing our national response to COVID-19. A new generation of ministers, civil servants, healthcare professionals, home team and SAF officers are taking the lead. For many, this is their first major crisis. The ministers have sought advice and tapped the experience and knowledge of their older cabinet colleagues and consulted widely within and outside the government. Over the past few months, I've worked very closely with them. We speak daily and exchange views freely. They have stepped up to the task, worked together as a team and led from the front. This is the way that we collectively ensure resilience and continuity in our leadership team for Singapore. What we have built as a nation, our solidarity, our resolve and our resilience, gives me confidence that we will overcome the current crisis and any future challenges to build a stronger and better Singapore together. Thank you and good health to you and your families. Fellow Singaporeans, COVID-19 has impacted our lives, livelihoods and lifelines. And it has aggravated already difficult global challenges. Trade and investment have come down. 
People and businesses in many countries have lost confidence in globalization and technology. They have been disrupted, and their governments have been unable to help them adjust. Bigger countries have been fighting over the tax revenues of global companies, and that has affected international competition for investments and jobs. Countries are all doing their best to keep people safe and healthy, secure essential items such as food and medicine, save jobs and businesses in the face of severe decline in demand and investments. Singapore is not immune. Many Singaporeans have already lost their jobs. More job losses are expected in the coming months. Others have seen their incomes fall. It will be a tough job market in the coming years. Some businesses have closed. Many more are struggling. Most wonder how to survive, never mind thrive. We cannot save every job and every business, but we will take care of every Singaporean. We will not let widespread unemployment erode the confidence and dignity of our people. We will grow new businesses and create good jobs for all Singaporeans. This government has committed almost $100 billion to care for every Singaporean, help save businesses and jobs. But it is not just about spending money. What is even more important is our ability to plan, adapt and execute. This is how we will do it. Our immediate focus is jobs. We will create 100,000 jobs and training opportunities in the coming year. The range of jobs will include healthcare, early childhood education, transport, ICT, and financial services. 100,000 jobs. That's three times our usual annual number. This is how many we will need to help those coming out from schools, as well as those retrenched. We may well need to create more jobs if the situation worsens. We will also increase the capacity of our training institutions to equip more workers, especially mid-career ones with new skills required for the new economy. This help will come to where you are. We will set up job centres in every town to match displaced workers to new jobs. We will work hard to make sure everyone who wants a job can get a job. Many say the best way to save jobs is to resume our economic activities more quickly. I understand. But opening up hastily and closing businesses again if infections spike once more will be more disruptive to businesses and workers. Hence, let us resume safely, progressively and sustainably. Even after reopening, we should not expect business as usual. Some businesses will need to change their business models. We will help you to redesign your operations and serve new markets. Many F&B businesses like Salad Stop and Beauty in the Pot have launched delivery-friendly menus to serve new customers. Others still have viable business models. We will help you to rebound when demand picks up. We will support you to hire and train graduates and meet career workers in advance. Logistics and professional services are examples of sectors where we are starting to do this. 
As we tackle the immediate challenges, we must also prepare for the future. The Future Economic Council, chaired by DPM Heng, has been driving this for the last few years. We will invest to develop our intangible strengths, what distinguishes us, our infrastructure, for they are key enablers, and above all, our people and businesses. First, our intangible strengths. Over the years, many investors have chosen to site and expand their businesses here in Singapore. They did not make this decision for the short term. Nor did they choose Singapore because we have abandoned natural resources or because we are cheaper. They chose us because of our strengths, which are not easy to replicate elsewhere. We are open and connected with the world. We are trusted, we are united and stable as a society, and we have a skilled workforce. For many countries, COVID-19 has accelerated the retreat from globalization and the erection of more protectionist barriers. We must resist these pressures. A less connected world means a poorer world and fewer opportunities for all. A less connected Singapore means fewer and poorer quality jobs for us. Even in a more protectionist, less connected world, we can still make a living and more. We can build capabilities to play critical roles in global supply chains, to produce high-quality products and services that others value. For example, we make four out of the world's top 10 drugs. We are the world's seventh largest exporter of chemicals. Our resilience comes from building networks and diversifying our supply sources and markets. We will never be able to have everything we would possibly need for the next crisis. Indeed, when lockdowns started across the world three months ago, many of our supply chains were disrupted, if not broken. Credit goes to the ingenuity and tenacity of our people for keeping us going. Our public and private sectors swung into action, reached out to their networks, opened up new supply lines to bring back essentials like masks, PPE, and test reagents from across the world. Individuals from PSA, SIA, SETS, ST Logistics, NTUC, Singsong, and many more. Without all these unsung heroes, we would not have been able to live our lives as normally as we did in the last few months. Thank you all. Another intangible strength is trust. Singapore is trusted globally. Throughout this crisis, we have also continued to show the world they can trust Singapore. We did not impose export restrictions or nationalise foreign investments. We kept our production lines open for global supply chains, including critical materials for surgical masks. We worked with companies to increase their production so that we could meet Singapore's and the world's needs. And we facilitated the continued flow of essential goods and people through our ports and airports. In uncertain times, our trusted brand counts for even more. Businesses have noticed when they 
make their next investments to diversify their global production bases, we will be in the running. Just as how we did not restrict exports during the 1970s oil crisis, that enhanced our credibility later to establish Jurong Island as a global petrochemical hub. Our investors have stood by us through this difficult period. We know the challenges investors face with manpower flows and family reunions. We will work closely with you to overcome the challenges together. We will keep faith with you as you have with us. We will work to stay connected with the world, even as the world threatens to fragment and regress towards protectionism. Despite our size, we can show the way if we have good ideas. When promoting free trade, our initial partnerships with Brunei, Chile and New Zealand eventually grew to become today's CPTPP. Together with New Zealand, we issue a joint ministerial statement to resist export restrictions and uphold global supply chains. From a party of two, we now have 11 subscriber countries and counting. We are building a network of digital economy partnerships. The partnerships will define the rules for competing and cooperating in the new economy. They will create opportunities for our companies to grow their overseas markets. We have concluded such agreements with Australia, Chile and New Zealand. More are on the way. Barring unforeseen circumstances, we look forward to signing the RCEP agreement this year. This will cover all 10 ASEAN member states, plus Australia, China, Japan, New Zealand and South Korea. It will lower the cost of imports for our consumers and exports for our producers. These agreements and other FTAs open up new opportunities for our businesses and will make us a more attractive base for investments to serve the region. This will signal to the world our confidence and determination to press on with regional economic integration. Together with our trade association partners, we will translate these trade agreements into tangible advantages for our companies through platforms like Global Connect at SBF. Second, as we develop our intangible strengths, we will invest in the next generation of infrastructure for Singapore. While others have to tighten their belts, our past prudence gives us the means to continue investing in our future. This way, we will gift the next generation a higher starting base, just as how our predecessors did for us. We will press on to build our connectivity infrastructure to reinforce our position as a choice hub for business, finance, trade and data flows. This is why I'm here today at our port, the heart of our trade connections to the world. Our long-term plans remain sound. They include projects like Changi T5, Tuas Megaport and Submarine Cable Hubs. Likewise, regional developments like Pongo Digital District Jurong Lake District, Sungai Kadut Eco District, Greater Southern Waterfront. We will pace the timelines for these projects according to demand. But do not doubt this. We will get them all done. Together, they will create a vibrant and innovative Singapore for our children, 
full of opportunities, full of life. We will also intensify the efforts to attract the best ideas and talent to compete on our side and complement our strengths. Initiatives like the Global Innovation Alliance connect us with talent hubs across the world. We will make ourselves a more attractive, safe harbour for talent, ideas and intellectual property to grow more businesses and create better jobs. Competition is intense. Talented people, including our own, can go anywhere. I know many Singaporeans are concerned with foreign competition. But closing ourselves up is not the answer. We cannot escape competing with the world and proving our mettle. We will give our workers the training and support to excel, and we will ensure that the competition is fair. This is the best way to improve the well-being of our people. Finally, beyond investments in intangibles and infrastructure, this government will ensure that every member of Team Singapore shares the benefits of growth. Let me highlight two efforts, digitalization and internationalization. COVID-19 has pushed many businesses and consumers to embrace the digital world. The digital trajectory will only accelerate and not reverse. We must enable every Singaporean, young and old, every business, big and small, to go digital and thrive. Companies will embrace digital tools to create new business models and transcend our local market constraints. For example, STB is helping our hospitality companies and event organisers to overcome the collapse in travel demand by using digital tools. One event organiser, WIT, or Web in Travel, is engaging global audiences through a virtual travel summit later this month across different countries. In the 1980s, we uplifted a generation through computerization and automation. In the 2020s, we will transform another generation through digitalization and data. And not just the young in high-tech companies. We are building a thousand-strong digital ambassador corp to help small and micro enterprises apply digitalization and help senior citizens to learn to use the technology. But helping businesses access new markets must go beyond the digital online to establish new, real partnerships in the real world. Many Singapore businesses have established regional and global presence in the past years, often in partnerships. The more established and larger companies help newcomers and smaller businesses. For example, CapitalLand brings along Singapore companies in its overseas development projects, thus helping them penetrate new markets. The retail and hospitality sector may be going through a challenging time, but companies like CapitalLand will press on and do more to support our local SMEs. We will step up such efforts to nurture a new generation of regional and global businesses. We will facilitate more industry partnerships including in the digital space, like how Singapore eBiz and Alliance 21 are helping local food manufacturers drive international business. Likewise, we will better organise our overseas Singapore business chapters and missions 
to guide newcomers venturing overseas. Our business leaders and workers will be key to these efforts. We must have the aptitude and attitude to serve global markets. Our people must have the entrepreneurial spirit to venture abroad to compete and seize the opportunities of a fast-growing Asia. We cannot be content with doing well just within Singapore. We introduced Scale Up SG to groom promising local companies into global champions. So long as our companies have the ambition, we will find the resources to support them. We will intensify the overseas exposure of our people through initiatives like the Global Ready Talent Programme so that they gain fresh perspective and networks. This is what we did for many students, including Carousel co-founder Siu Rei, Marcus and Lucas. They spent a year in Silicon Valley as part of the NUS Overseas Colleges Programme. This laid the foundation and gave them the confidence to later launch Carousel, which their team has grown beyond Singapore to eight markets across Southeast Asia today. We will scale up such opportunities for our people. Earlier this year, MOE announced our 70 by 70 target to enable more students from institutes of higher learning to gain overseas exposure. 70% of IHL students to have an overseas exposure, 70% to focus on China, India and ASEAN. We will press on with this once the COVID-19 situation allows. We will never be done upskilling our people. This is especially so for workers who have left school many years ago and did not benefit from the more recent improvements in our education and training system. Our promise is this. We will create opportunities for all Singaporeans, no matter how old you are, to improve your lives at every stage of your careers. So long as you are able and willing, we will support you. Every Singaporean, regardless of background, can have the chance to take on the new jobs being created. We can be confident that our investments in our strengths, our infrastructure and our people are all coming together. This is why, in the first four months of this year, EDB has already captured $13 billion of investment commitments from companies like ExxonMobil, Micron and ST Microelectronics. And some companies continue to hire and grow their businesses like InnoSparks, Secret Lab and Shopee. Even though the outlook for the next few years is uncertain, investors maintain their confidence in Singapore to base their new and exciting projects here. For example, Hyundai will be setting up their Mobility Global Innovation Centre in Jurong. It will be a next-generation innovation and manufacturing platform incorporating artificial intelligence Internet of Things and robotics to produce electric vehicles of the future. When ready in 2022, it will create many new and exciting opportunities for our workers. Our local companies are confident too. In my regular visits to our local companies, I have seen many big and small companies in different sectors actively transforming their businesses, such as Prima, Haisia Seafood, Makono Print Media, what cheer me most is that they have upskilled their workforce in the process. They didn't leave the workers behind. As you can see, there are still many opportunities for us. But we must be on our toes 
survivor favours not the strong, but the agile. Our pioneer and Merdeka generations built our economy from scratch. They laid our strong foundations brick by brick. Changi Airport, HDB flats, MRT lines, SIA, DBS, PSA and many more. In fact, they moved us from third world to first in one generation and saved enough to set aside reserves for future generations. They show us what it means to be Singaporean, that we are not of common ancestry, race, language or religion. We are defined by our determination to chart our own destiny, guided by the values of openness, inclusiveness, self-determination, meritocracy and incorruptibility. For us to defy the odds of history and not only survive but thrive, with the world as our hinterland and our markets. 55 years on, we are better positioned to keep Singapore going, growing and glowing. We will build a better Singapore together, where our future generations have the pride, the means and the gumption to be called Singaporeans. Thanks for listening to The Freshy Feed. We want to hear from you after you are listening to the national broadcast of COVID-19 from every minister's speech. You can join our Facebook page at SL Chats. We are creating a community page here and we love to feedback to us after listening. Also, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at The Freshy Feed and subscribe to us on YouTube at The Freshy Feed. The Freshy Feed is a production of iHeartRadio and the Freelight Media. It's produced by Weiser. Shivaram Singham, Noor Shavika, and Phoebe Chan are the executive producers. Special thanks to Minicorp for providing the national broadcast of COVID-19. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or whenever you get your podcast.